You're now listening to A New Coat of Paint, starring the owners of LJK Finishes, Lewis J. Katz, and Scott Katz. A New Coat of Paint is a podcast for independent painters, wallpaper hangers, and contractors of any size to discuss their craft, business practices, marketing strategies, and a lot more. For all your contracting questions, with a special expert lens on wallpaper, this is A New Coat of Paint. Thank you to Tooltags for all your tool tracking needs. Visit tooltagsapp.com for more info. Thanks. Welcome to the New Coat of Paint podcast, hosted by Lewis and Scott Katz. Good afternoon, Scott. How are you today? I'm good. How about you? Good. Getting ready for uh, another exciting week out in the world. Yeah, another another week in, in the COVID universe. That's exactly right. Um, so I figured we could talk today a little about something that I think, one, many contractors find tedious or challenging, and two... One of the parts of the jobs that I think most adversely affects the reputation of contractors, and that is the finishing up of a project. Obviously, we're not talking about a one-day project where you go in, you paint a wall, or you paint a room, or you, you know, change a fixture, and it's in and out, and you're done. But a project that's a larger project that you've been working on for weeks or months and it's been busy, it's been hectic, there's a lot going on, you're dealing with inspections, you're dealing with meeting code, you're dealing with all the other things that come with larger projects, and now you're down to the the end of it. The nitty-gritty of it all. You are dealing with the punch lists and the details and the customer having to come up with that last bit of money. Putting on the hardware and making sure that uh, everything is clean and nothing has been broken and everything is put back together the way it started. And so I think that's, you know, it's something that people struggle with, I think, for a couple of reasons. One, you know, sometimes the forest, you lose the forest through the trees and sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes you are so caught up with one set of details, you miss another set of details or something along those lines. And the other thing that I think a lot of people have issues with is you tend to be starting the next project at the same time. You know, maybe you're on a project for two straight months and all your guys are there and all your focus is on that. And maybe you got a couple little things you fill in, but really that's your main focus. And then all of a sudden now that's the little thing and something else is your main focus. And sometimes it, things get lost in translation there. and Or in transition at least. And like I said, I think that is one of the things that most adversely affects a you know contractor's reputation and just contractor reputations in general the and also the bottom line because if you, you you start to to lose sight of what's going on and you don't get to all those little details sometimes you're spending a lot more time on those details than needs to be and so you know it it, it makes the job harder and longer and you and you get less of a profit margin yeah and i mean that's Depending on what your specific role in a job that's that size, you have a lot of responsibilities because sometimes you're a subcontractor on the job and your job is just to get your details done and your job done. Sometimes you're the general contractor on a job, so you have to rein in the subs. You have to make sure the electrician has all the switch plates on and all the light fixtures back up. You have to make sure the plumber's got all the you know, appropriate shutoffs back on and that the water is running and the drains are clean. And that the architect has come and made sure that everything has been to code so that we feel they've cut off any problems before you know, they happen. Exactly. And that, you know, you're dealing with you're dealing with different villages have in different cities have different expectations. Sometimes the inspectors are nice guys and you're willing to work they're willing to work with you and they're understanding and they're willing to 
you know, say, listen, you need to do this little thing here. I'm not going to fail your inspection, but get, you know, put caulking behind this sink or take this screw out of the wrong spot. Right. And sometimes they are not understanding. Sometimes they will say, oh, you have one switch plate missing. You fail. Right. And so I think it has to do with... Um, I think it has to do with a lot of different things. I think that it's also a stressful time for the customer because you're turning everything over to them, and now it becomes their responsibility to maintain the space. It becomes their responsibility to pay the final bill. It becomes their... I'm trying to think of the right word. It becomes their burden now. Whereas before, anything that happened, it's your responsibility. Mm-hmm. If somebody breaks in, if somebody breaks a tile, if somebody puts a handprint on something, if something is dirty, if something is not done correctly, it's your responsibility. Once you turn it over, now it becomes the customer's responsibility to maintain their own space, and that could be stressful for them. And... They also have to make that final payment, and we all know that that is usually the most difficult payment to collect because unlike the progress payments, you no longer have that leverage to say, if you don't pay me, then the job won't continue, and then you're sitting on this construction project with you know, your, your hands tied. The job is done, so if they owe you a percentage of that job, you have to collect it and... You know, you're really hoping that they're going to do the right thing because... If not, it becomes litigation because, you know, you're probably signing contracts and you're getting things done and you've been getting progress payments, so you can certainly show that you had an agreement with them. But if they decide not to pay you the last payment, it's all on you. And um, something, that uh, we, yeah, something, that we, something that we learned the hard way is often, unless they owe you a lot of money... Going to court isn't even really an effective measure because if they owe you less than $20,000, you might spend more than that just trying to collect it depending on how difficult they are or how many lawyers they have on staff or how much they want to fight you. Also, it's uh, even if they don't have lawyers or anything else, there's stall tactics involved. If it's under twenty grand, you're not getting, you know, probably not getting a marshal involved, and you're uh, not going to um, go to any kind of real lengths. And even if you win the case, uh, then you still have to try and collect from winning the case, and that might mean hiring an investigator to find out what you know if they have a car in their name or a, a bank account in their name. <laughs> If somebody's willing to stiff you on the last payment, chances are they're willing to stiff a court payment too. So it's a stressful time for everybody involved. And I thought it was a good topic for us to kind of go through a little bit more thoroughly and talk about some of the ways that we like to handle it and some of the pitfalls we've run into and some of the things that we've learned from that. Exactly. So I think we should start with... You know, um, the slowing down of a job, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's let's put it at the place where you've gotten past your inspections, you've gotten past your, you know, your code stuff. You're, you know the job is done right. Next, the, the next part is for you to keep an eye on the details. So, I mean, what, Lewis, what are your... What what do you do to keep your eyes, I guess, soft, keep them able to see the big picture, keep them able to see not just the, the whole project, but the details so that you don't feel like you've missed anything? Because I think we all also have pride in our jobs and we don't want to leave a job undone or not right. Well, checking on the job is, you know, being on top of it. That's one of the things I really dislike about a lot of GCs. Uh, you know, even their foremans, they're not on the job enough. You know, you're getting paid as a GC to be the GC. And, I, and there are certain companies I see. You can see the quality companies, they have somebody on the job. 
that's responsible for what's going on. Sometimes a GC, you know, you're the you're the top dog. You sold the job, but you're not the guy who's on the job every day. Um, if you're a smaller contractor like us, the way you are, it's being on top of the job. That, I mean, that's really what it comes down to: knowing every inch of the job, knowing what everybody's contracts read, and knowing what they're expected to do, and making sure that those timelines are being kept. And, and keeping calendars of timelines uh, really important that people show up when they're supposed to and, and you know get done when they're supposed to get done so yeah I think reining in subs from the GC side can be one of the most challenging parts of it because even though you're in charge even though it's your job you need them to finish you know the typical GC can't finish the electrical work can't finish the plumbing work can't finish, you know, the well, that, that stuff is permitted. So the, the thing is, there's nothing worse as a sub to show up on a job site and not have a heads up that the job wasn't ready for you, that you wasted your time. Um, and that's the GC's job to make sure that you as a sub aren't wasting your time either. Um, you as a sub, if you're not going to show up in the morning, to call the GC and tell them that you're not coming in the morning so that if something else can get done, it can get done. Because every time one person, you know, it's like the old saying, the army moves as slow as the, um, as fast as the slowest man. And that's what the job is, as fast as the slowest man. Whoever's, the, you know, the guy in there doing their thing, if they're not being fast, they're not being efficient, they're not showing up, that stops everybody else, and that extends timelines, and timelines are dollar bills. Yeah, timelines certainly are dollar bills, and you know, especially at the end when instead of needing your electrician there for a full day's worth of work where they can go in and have their guy making money, you need them there for an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, to come in and do some little things, to futz around with stuff that probably should have been done you know, before that should have been done during the bulk part of the job, but they missed a little detail or something else got in their way and they weren't able to finish something. Well, it was or, a change order and or, it has to get done for the next phase to get finished. Or they're waiting for the delivery of a, mm-hmm. a chandelier to hang or a plumbing fixture to install. And so there's just, it's it's getting them to come back when they've also moved on because just like you might be ready to move on to the next job, your electrician, your plumber, and all of your other subs, they're all ready to move on. They're all moving on to their next job, and they're not your employee. They're a subcontractor, so you don't control their crew size. You don't control their schedule, so you need to make sure that you are communicating with them and that you are giving them lead time and that you are being clear about your expectations so that they know what they need to do so they can plan accordingly. Yeah, I, and and checking, you know, checking that they're not cutting corners anywhere in order to go over and fulfill their obligations. You know, they're not putting in, um, uh, you know, a twenty uh, watt bulb where a, a, a ten watt bulb is is belongs, or vice versa, and making sure that everything is is too too cold. That even though they're they're supposed to be doing their things, ultimately as the GC, you have to oversee all of that to make sure everything has been done. And uh, if you're the sub, you got to make sure everybody else's work has been done around you so that once you do your work, uh, you know, you, you don't want somebody to come in and start making holes in the wall after you've hung your wallpaper. Yeah, that, that's certainly the no truth. Time, no time to, you know, run a new light fixture. And that's something that is a, certainly a big differentiation between whether you are the GC or a subcontractor. Exactly. And, you know, we've been both on a jo- on many, many jobs. And so the, one of the major differences is when you're a subcontractor, those details, your goal is to not have that one or two hours where you have to come back to do little things. Your goal is to get all those little things done before. But as the contractor, your job is to manage the reality that there's almost always some little things that people are going to have to come back for. Yeah. So it's kind of a balance that you have to strike, whether which whatever side of the coin you're on there, you really need to 
communicate and know your role and do your best to limit the kind of things that are left over, limit the details that might, that you may have left out so that there aren't many details to worry about at the end. Um, one thing I like to try and do is either keep notes or take pictures or a combination of the two so that I'm on top of the things that I need to keep doing so that if I'm on a job and I know there's something I'm going to have to do and I can't do it for a week or two because another sub has to come in and do something in between in order for it to go in the right order, I need to make sure that I remember that that thing needs to get done. And as a subcontractor, I need to already be planning ahead to put it in my calendar, to allot the time, to make sure that the crew is available, to make sure that I know what needs to be done. And as the GC, the job is to communicate and make sure that the sub that's coming in in between is efficient and doing their job in a timely manner, or if it's going to take longer than expected or, or less time than expected, that I let my other subs know that the timeline has changed that the expectations are changed, that there was a change order and now there's an extra hole in the wall that you didn't know before. So before you can come in to do your wallpaper, you have to do a sheetrock patch and do prep work because originally there wasn't supposed to be a hole in the wall there, but now they ran an extra light fixture. And so now you have to close up the holes. That's a perfect example that the bathroom that we just did where we got there to do the touch up and someone had written in, in indelible ink on the wall and instead of us coming one time doing a little spot priming on some plaster and doing a touch and finishing off the touch up because they changed the medicine cabinet out now we had to come back four times in order to kill a stain that was just not going to go away you know we used every product on the planet from shellac to you know uh, pro block to and nothing was stopping it from coming through it's just a matter of how many coats you have to put on it. But that in itself made us have to go back to a job site, you know, five times. And it's not just an hour on the job. It's the travel time there and the travel time back. And we all know what ends up happening is the customer then knows you have to keep coming back for something that's not their responsibility. So they try and tap. That gives them more time to look for Things that they want to get done, and, and they try to go over and coerce your guy to do it, or try and convince you that because you're already there, right. it's, it's just it, this should be included. This was part of my expectation. Oh, I know I've been living in the house for three weeks, and this this is a you know fingerprints, or this is from me bumping into something or scraping into something. But you, Gee, you're here, can't you do it for me? And I owe you money, right? And so I'm expecting you to do it. Otherwise, I'm going to give you a hard time. We just had a job, that same job, where we came in after other people had installed a TV lift, and we had to do some prep work and paint this TV lift, and it was explained clearly to the customer that once we were done, we couldn't guarantee that the way that they wanted to do it was going to work. They were doing something kind of outside the box. They were doing something that in our professional opinion, doesn't have long-term lasting ability. And so we told them that we can't, that for this specific part of it, there is no guarantee. If we do it and something isn't right, it's, it's not on, right. It's on them because you know, they, they were doing something that we didn't feel that could be accomplished to begin with. But then what ended up happening was because we had to come back for the indelible ink, because we had to come back to clean up right. paint chips on door frames because... The carpet guys bumped into things and the movers bumped into things and the homeowner wasn't overly critical or wasn't paying attention or whatever else. Now we're there and they're like, well, there's a problem with this. I need you to fix it. And when I say, well, you know, that's an extra, then I get all this pushback. I get all this, well, how dare you charge me an extra? You did it a week ago. It should be right. You know what I mean? It, it, it's, it's not supposed to work like this. And even though you have it in writing and even though you've had five conversations with the customer telling them that there is no guarantee on this part of the work because it's not a good idea or because this is not how things work and they wanted to go ahead anyway, that they don't care. They didn't, even though they heard it, even though they're not stupid and they understood it, 
they're they're happy to take advantage and get anything that they want. They feel that they can get for free. Anything extra they can get because they want to feel like they won. They want to feel like they got over. They want something that they didn't originally pay for to be included. Everybody has that nature. And so you need to, the, the more you can get done in the bulk part of the job and the less that you have left over at the end, the more eye on detail you have during the process and the more focused you are doing the job, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> the better off you are towards the end. I think that brings us to a place where we can talk about some of the legitimate things at the end of a job, like a punch list and how to handle a punch list and how it differs when you are a GC or you're doing a job that is working directly for the homeowner or the business owner, as opposed to when you are the subcontractor or you're in there working for a designer or a decorator or you know, you're doing wallpaper for a painter or something along those lines, that how you handle your punch list different and how the expectations are different between a contractor and a customer or a decorator and a subcontractor. So, I mean, in your experience, Lewis, what are some of those differences? Some of the differences. Well, there's a lot of differences in there. Um, going, there's always two sides to a story. I mean, the clients have their own nightmare stories as well. Can't always just concentrate on our end of things because there are a lot of bad contractors out there. And, that, and that's where a lot of the problems come from. First of all, a lack of communication. Um, uh, communication is huge. It's, it's needed, and, and uh, if you don't have an open line of communication, it's really hard to keep up with everything. And, um, you know, managing their expectations. Uh, there's a lot to do with managing expectations. To understand that something is old, that when you're repairing it, it's never going to be new. Uh, that, you know, when you're doing something experimental, it may not work. Um, you know, products are constantly changing. And then, you know, the difference between um, abuse and wear and tear. Those are, you know, some big uh, issues in there. So, um, And, I mean, how do you go about managing those expectations? And how do you explain to someone who thinks, you know, who lives in their home the way they've always lived in their home, but now they have freshly painted kitchen cabinets or freshly done wallpaper or whatever else you just finished as a product, how it's different maybe than it was before, how wear and tear is different than abuse and what where the line is drawn and what your responsibility as a contractor versus their responsibility as a customer. Uh, well, I mean, talking with them, ha ha having things written out, you know, it's really important to have things written out if you can. Um, you know, to explain what the process is. Um, when you tell someone you're painting it, well, does that mean you're prepping it, you're priming it? Um, are you putting two finished coats, one finished coat? It, you know, exactly what are you doing when you say you're painting the wall? Does that include everything? Well, if you only put that you're painting the wall, it could, and a client could go over and misinterpret that. And that's when the, you know, the fun starts, because then you have a lot of back and forth for no reason. If you said that you're going to sand the wall, prep the wall, prime the wall, and then put two finish coats on the wall, that's pretty straightforward. And after you prime it and put two finish coats, if the color hasn't fully covered, then you can turn around and say, listen, you paid for a primer, you paid for two finish coats, the color that, you, you know, that we're using is not covering. So there's an additional, you know, upcharge in there. So, yeah, it's all about talking with the client and making sure you don't leave a lot of the, you know, the upcharges until the end. Um, it's really important. If there's an upcharge, you get them to agree in writing, in an email, or somewhere where you can produce it to show that they knew and that they, that they knew there was a cost involved. Because, you know, once again, we always look at worst case scenario. If everything goes well and you get paid, 
everybody's happy. But if everything goes well and you don't get paid, you want to be prepared to, if you have to go to court and you want to take a lot of pictures, pictures are everything. You want to, you want to take pictures before, during, after. Um, I can't tell you how many times it saved us, you know, where someone came in and said, oh, look, you guys wouldn't scratch the floor. And I have a, you know, timestamp picture of that scratch on the floor before we even started the job. You know, don't don't come back to me and tell me that you're trying to get something for nothing because I'm going to try and do everything I can and make sure you get exactly what you paid for to the quality that you're expecting without you being taken advantage of me. Because, you know, unfortunately, people love to try and take advantage yeah, and like you said, I mean, sometimes it's a two-way street. There are plenty of contractors out there who are happy to try and take advantage of their customers, who take a job at a cheap price knowing that there's going to be a lot of extras and that the customer, after they sign the contract, has way less leverage, and they abuse that responsibility, and they abuse their position. And that, like I said, just gives contractors bad names, and it puts us all in a difficult position where we have to fight to explain things and we have to struggle to make people understand the difference between what is an unexpected or legitimate just change order and what is essentially something that the contractor should have explained and it was going to have to get done and there was no way it was going to get done another way, but it was conveniently left out of a contractor, conveniently left off of a pricing list so that they could get the job for cheaper than the next guy. And then they knew they were going to charge them for that anyway. Well, they have these house painters now. They, you know, they'll tell you they'll paint a room for ninety nine dollars. You know, yeah, they'll come into you know a ten by twelve room. They'll roll out the walls, one coat, for ninety nine dollars, and the customer supplies the paint. Uh, customers, there are customers that you know to them that's exactly what they're looking for. They want it the cheapest price possible. They only want a fresh coat, and they don't care what it looks like. And there are other customers who will go over, and you'll put on that coat of paint, and they'll go, well, it didn't cover. Well, now here comes the set change orders. And that's how they nickel and dime you to death. Yeah, and that where the first coat is only $99, the next coat is conveniently $500. Right, or now, well, if you want the, those cracks fixed, you know, that's, you know, now one additional time. Oh, you want the window painted? Well, that's additional time. And everything becomes, you know, an add-on. You're doing everything a la carte. It becomes very expensive when, you know, because there's no time management in there. They don't care. You know, they're getting paid per piece at that point. So, you know, you got to be careful. I mean, and, and look at the pricing. You've gone out, you've gotten three prices, and there's a high, a middle, and a low. The low should be thrown out. The guy is not telling you the truth. Well, it depends it's, how low it is. You can't say that definitively. If they're all really close. If they're all really close, that's a different story. But if someone is 40% cheaper than the middle guy, there's something wrong with the bid. Something is missing or something they misunderstood or something was Or they're just left. not doing the job. Yeah. They're just not doing the job. Um, you know, the thing about reputation is find out. I laugh because I remember a, a few jobs where I got calls from customers to come in and do the next job because the first job I'd been on, they didn't use me because I was more expensive. And the guy they ended up using when the job was done was over 20% higher than me. And one of their, their friends who uses me said, what do you mean there were so many change orders? He says, Lewis doesn't put in any change orders. When I get, he gives me a price, the job is done. And they're like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, the job is done. So you would have just paid that one price. Because I give them the price for the job the way it's supposed to be done. Not half measures, not shortcutted. If you want it done right, you know, pay for it to be done right. You got to understand, people need to make a living. And, and just because, you know, a lot of painters, it's an immigrant's trade, that doesn't mean it costs them less to live. And that doesn't cost them the contract less to live. I, I laugh when I come into some of these homes and, uh, you know, you, you're walking in and they have a, uh, five boxes of Uggs sitting on the floor and you tell them it's $200 to paint a ceiling in a bathroom that's going to last them, you know, 10 years. And they want to complain to you that $200 is so much money. 
with a pink cost me 75 <laughs> you know how how much do I actually make on something like that people have to start to understand there are reasonable charges whether you think they are or not things cost money in today's world and nothing is cheap no and also by doing that what you get is the beginning of a conversation because Sometimes you come in and you bid the job to be done to the full extent to what you really think needs to be done to make it as close to perfect as it gets. And maybe that's more than their budget. And maybe there's things they're willing to cut corners on or willing to sacrifice in order to bring the project down to their budget. Maybe they don't want their walls skin-coated. Maybe they just want it patched and they're okay with the fact that that means there might be a little bit of uneven texture on a wall. Maybe they're comfortable because it was flat paint already and you're putting flat paint on it to just spot prime where you're doing patchwork and paint two coats as opposed to painting a, coat of, a full coat of primer and two coats, which costs more. And by having that conversation right at the beginning, explaining to them why you would do it one way, what the difference was, will be if they do it in another way in order to save a little bit of money, then when the job is close to finished or finished completely, and they're like, well, I can see some texture here, you can recall them back to that conversation where you said, I explained this to you. This is what happens when you patch and don't skim coat, or this is what happens when you have a plaster wall that needs a that you that you want to not fill in a hole with plaster, but you want to fill in a hole with sheetrock. This is you know all those things that they made decisions in order to save a little money or coming inside their budget. You can recall them because you've already brought them up. It's not a something. Even if they want to act surprised, you can stand on your ground and say you're not surprised because this is exactly what I explained to you right. on why it would be this way and not that way. If you don't do the project with the correct amount of labor, with the correct amount of materials, with the type, the right type of materials. You know, you're not going to, if you're painting trim and high gloss, there's levels. You're not going to get the same finish with bare high gloss as you will with Benjamin Moore Advanced, as you will with Benjamin Moore Aquaglow. Benjamin Moore satin and pervo that you will with that you will with fine paints of Europe Hollandac or Circa Waterborne or the Circa Solvent and how different those products the range that you can get from what a high loss job could look like from the cheapest to the most expensive and explaining that to them early that yes I understand that I'm ten percent higher than the guy who's coming in with the other price, but he's giving you a price to use Benjamin Moore Advanced, which is $75 or $50 a gallon, and I'm giving you a price to do it in Circa Waterborne, which is a spray product, and is $110, $100 to $120, $110 a gallon. And so that right there, over the course of a 10-gallon job, there's, you know, there's some of your price differences. There's the time difference. I'm spraying versus they're brushing. And so spraying will give you a more factory-like finish with no brush marks, no roller marks, no orange peel. But it takes a lot more work and a lot more time and a lot more space. Whereas brushing, I can get done quicker and it'll give you this instead of that. And sometimes having that conversation early as opposed to during or after the job saves you a lot of aggravation. Oh, absolutely. And it also puts you in a position. You have a lot of prep work involved. So if someone tells you they're going to go and paint with high gloss, um, anyone can come in and roll the high gloss out. That's not going to make it a high gloss room, and that's not going to make the paint look right. It's just going to look terrible. Um, I've seen it. I've been in multi-million dollar houses where someone rolled out high gloss that looked, you know, they didn't brush it, they didn't add anything to it to make it flatten out, and it looked like roller texture on a high-gloss paint. It looked horrible. Uh, there's a real difference between doing it right and doing it wrong. Anybody can come in and roll out your walls. Anybody. It doesn't matter who it is. You can roll out your walls. Your kids can roll out your walls. That's not what you're paying for. You're paying for preparation because it's all about the prep. Because, yeah, paint price is a difference, you know, but it's the surface that you're putting it on. 
you haven't prepped it, you haven't cleaned it, you haven't dusted it down, you haven't created a negative pressure in the room uh, if needed on a high gloss product. You know, if these things aren't being done, then you're not going to get the same effect on your walls. It's just not the same job. And that all leads us back to, like I said, the most what often is the most stressful part of the job, which is the end of the job. Normally, the it, once you start, once you get the job and you're doing the job, that's what you do. That's what your guys do. It's you get into a routine. You show up. You're supervising. Your guys are doing the work. Everything is going smoothly. I mean, there's hiccups, but you're correcting them as you go. Nothing is finished, so it's okay if something has to you know, get fixed a little bit along the way or something a little unexpected comes up. But when you're at that final stage, everybody is on high alert. You're worried that you missed something. You're worried that the customer might not pay you. You're worried that they they might be focused on a detail that maybe wasn't part of your job, but they'll never accept that as an answer because they paid, in their opinion, a lot of money to do this work. And so even though maybe it wasn't a lot of money relative to what should be paid, for them it's a lot of money. And so they want to be very, very detail-oriented. And on the customer side, they're very nervous because, like I said earlier, they are now taking responsibility. They're having to lay out that final money. They're allowing you to leave the project and then they have to worry that if there's problems down the road, if there's an issue, if the product fails, if the, the job isn't right and they missed something during a walkthrough, that now you're not there to hold accountable, that you, getting you to come back to fix something isn't going to happen. And I think that it's really important to make sure that you're building up to that point as opposed to dropping it on somebody all at once. Yeah, it's not only that. It's letting customers know that you're, you're not going to be gone. You know, I'm, I'm third generation. You're fourth. You know, um, I have customers you know, that were working for a long time. We don't have to think about it. They, they know that we're coming back because, you know what, they're calling us to do other work. And while, we, you know, our customers love to come over and go, oh, Louis, while you're here, I, let me pay you for this. They know it's a maintenance issue. Um, maintenance is another great issue um, to talk about is whether or not, you know, you should have a maintenance contract with your, with your contractor. Um, we have a, a few contractors, you know, a few clients and um, commercial products, that you know, com commercial clients, that we come in every couple of months and we do a day, two days, three days worth of work so that we can go over and maintain the house in the condition that it's in. You know, there are, there, there's living stuff going on, and they understand that, and, but they want the house to be pristine. So instead of worrying about whether or not we're going to come back, he already sets up or she sets up a contract with us, and every few months we're in there, and, and then you never have to worry about it. And it's a good selling point, and it's a good way to make a little extra money, and it's a good way to keep yourself in the bigger projects with those customers and to keep yourself fresh in their minds so they're recommending you to other people, so right. they're talking about you, so that they, they're they calling you often enough where it's part of what they do and not a burden to deal with you. Yeah, well, we just had one, one of our commercial clients, um, a, you know, one of their tenants called them and asked us who to, who to use. They talked with one person, they said us, they talked to a second person who said us, and then they happened to go to the store, and the store told them about us. So when you have a reputation like that, um, you know, it's, it's easier when you walk through the door because you're already coming in with people feeling a little bit more comfortable with you. Yep, I did an estimate just earlier this week where I met a lovely older woman who hasn't gotten any work done in her apartment probably as long as I've been alive. It's got to be... 30-something years since she's done the paint or the wallpaper or anything really in her apartment because she owns a condo and she did it once really nicely when she moved in and now she's retired and with, especially with COVID, she's there all the time and she likes what she liked and her tastes haven't changed and she's not interested in new trends or what's in or hip. 
right now. She's always been happy with what she's had. And she had a upstairs neighbor have a leak. And finally, the bathroom, the wallpaper that's been in her bathroom for 30 years got messed up because water was flowing. I mean, the wallpaper was frankly going anyway because it's been in the bathroom getting beat up by steam and water and cleaning products for a long time. But she was willing to deal with that until all of a sudden full sheets started falling off the wall because the sheetrock and the, and the walls behind it were getting wet. And so things are messed up now. So she's not only dealing with the fact that a leak happened that was had nothing to do with her and she's dealing with other people's insurance companies and all this other thing that's stressing her out. But now she's got a, she, the person who did that work 30 years ago. If she even remembers who it is, they're not around. Right. And so she needed to call somebody else. So she got a recommendation. And because we came highly recommended, because she was able to find us online and see our good reviews and see our website, she was already comfortable with me coming in. And so after a short conversation and a little bit of an explanation on what had to be done, her big question wasn't, oh, is this going to be really expensive? Or, oh, who else can I, you know, in her own head, who else can I call because, you know, I I need other prices? Her big question to me was, is the insurance company going to make me get other numbers or can I just tell them I want to use you? Right, and that will depend on your insurance company. But at the end of the day, those are the kinds of those are the best estimates. Yeah, you, I left those knowing are the answers you want to hear. Anyway. I left knowing that essentially we have that job. Right. We just got to help her with the insurance company, and we got to make sure that our price. We can't come in with an egregious price that the insurance company is never going to go for. Right. So we need to make sure our numbers are tight. We need to make sure that we help her and communicate with the insurance company as needed. But then it's a job that we have. And it only took me 15 minutes of being there and measuring and a quick conversation to close the deal because she already had a good impression of us right. coming in. Yeah, I mean, those are all great points. And, and uh, you know, coming into people's homes as well, uh, you know, when you're recommended, it's just a different feeling yeah. when you walk in. And I think one of the important things is, is especially when you're recommended by a vendor or a store or another, it's always important when you're recommended by a person, you're one of your customers, but when you're recommended by a decorator or somebody else who's in business, somebody else who's making money in this industry, when they recommend you, it's really important that you not only start well, but you finish well because that impacts the customer's relationship with them also. If you're recommended, if if somebody goes into a store to buy paint or wallpaper and that paint or wallpaper store recommends you, or somebody talks to a decorator and that decorator recommends you, and you go in and you mess that job up or you don't live up to your end of the bargain or you don't get along with the customer, that makes them way more hesitant to go back to that store or go back to that decorator or listen to another recommendation that they might have. It, It... puts everybody in a bad position involved in that because now that store doesn't know if they can recommend you consistently again, doesn't know what, you know, doesn't want to put their reputation on the line for you. And for contractors, especially middle-sized contractors where you're not building buildings in Manhattan or you right, know, you're not doing a two-year project. You know, when, you, when you're doing that and you need product, projects coming in and you need estimates happening all the time and you need cash flow, it's really important to have multiple people recommending you, to have people speaking highly, people trusting you, people speaking highly of you. And as we all know, it tends to be the last impression that's the lasting impression. Right. The first impression gets you in the door. The first impression gets you the job. But the impression that may matter even more than that is the last impression. Because if you leave that customer feeling satisfied and happy and fulfilled by the job, then you walk out knowing that you have advertisement with that person. Because if anybody compliments them on their job, if anybody asks for a recommendation, they're going to say your name. Right, and also when they're ready to do the next thing, if you left them feeling good about it, then they don't mind having you back. Because remember, you're in their home. You're in their space. Or in their business, yeah. Or in their business. It's theirs. And so if you've treated it properly and you've done your job the way you're supposed to do it, 
And I'm not saying that, you know, you're supposed to bend over backwards and, and get slapped in the back of the head. I'm talking about doing the job properly and being a professional and communicating with your client. And you've done all these things and the job looks good when you're done. The, the likelihood of the client calling you back. Right? And that's what you want. You want repeat business. Normally, you're not doing the whole interior of the house. You're doing one or two rooms. If you're doing the whole house, once again, there's your maintenance contract. You know, so you did the whole interior, but now there's the whole exterior. You know, there's still the garage. There's still maybe a basement that didn't get done, or they've still, you know, they did 90% of the rooms in the house, and they want you back. If you just spent two months in somebody's house, and six months later they call you to do more work, you did your job right. Because you just spent six months in their private space. You're like family at that point. Yeah, even if it's not for six years that you don't get that call back because right. you did such a good job, the paint job, the wallpaper, yeah, all right. that, and now five or six years they're ready for a change. Their kid's gotten mm-hmm. older, so the the you know the little kid design that you did in their bedroom is different, or you're getting... Well, they outgrew it. Exactly, or you had two young kids sharing a room and now they're older so you're taking one of the guest rooms and converting that into one of your kids rooms so they can be in separate rooms and so you need to change the way it looks because it's not a guest room anymore and you want to keep that residual business and you want to keep those customers coming back for more because even easier than estimates where you're highly recommended when you're giving a price to somebody who you've done work for before that you know you have a good relationship with, again, as long as you're not being an asshole with pricing, you're going to get that job. You're going to get paid. You know, you, you can go in with the ease of mind knowing that this person treats you right and treats you with respect. And they come in knowing that you treat them right and treat them with respect. And the job gets even easier because all of that stress that comes with that the beginning, the ending, the middle parts of the job, a lot of it goes away because as long as you do your job correctly, you know everything is going to go smoothly. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And then on top of that, when you walk in with the, you know, because with our guys, especially, I mean, we have guys that are with us over 30 years. And when, when you, you know, you're doing some, a client and you've been doing their work for 20 years and, you know, they call you up and they say, listen, can you come by? I'm leaving you the key or you have the key, or you have the alarm codes, Come, send so-and-so over to the job site, to you know, to my house, to do this work. They're not even thinking about it. A lot of times, we have clients now that they don't even think about it. They know what our pricing is. They know that we're gonna do things the right way. And, you know, just come over, come take care of it. Yeah, um, here's a picture of what I need to yeah, fix. When can you come and fix. do it? When, when literally, we're doing that one right now. We have guys literally at a job site where someone sent me a picture yesterday, and we were able to send someone today to go and take that, you know, take care of it. And nobody's home. They left, you know, they left the door for us open, and there's nobody home. We just went in, we took care of what we had to do, and we left. And, you know, locked up, made sure everything is, is you know, all copacetic and we're, we're good to go. Those, those are, that's the relationship you want with your clients. You want them to be able to trust you and you want to be able to trust them. And that trust is built out over, over years and sometimes over, you know, weeks or months. But you know, over years, if you keep doing a repeat business with them. And trust is one of those things that can be built in a lot of different ways. Take, for example, we just did a painting job where... We are technically not the contractor. The job was sold by one of those franchise painting contractors that doesn't have a stamp. They sub out all their work. So they go, they use the power of the franchise to generate business. They go in, they have their computer form on how to estimate a job, and they estimate and bid and get a job, and then they find people who have painting crews to do the job. And so we came in and we did that job. And the customer sees you and me there every day, twice a day, making sure the job is done. So we're, yes, the, the main contractor, he was there over the, the week and a half the job took. He was there every couple of days. But we're there every day, twice a day, for half an hour, an hour, or two hours at a time, making sure the job is running smoothly, keeping the customer updated, letting them know what's going on. And so we 
are helping that customer. We are the, the, the point of contact at that point. But that customer then wanted exterior work done. And they came to us and they said, we would like to get some exterior work done. What are your thoughts on the project? And our immediate response is, well, you have to talk to so-and-so because we're not the painters on the job. We're here working for this person and not directly for you, and we don't give out numbers without his permission. Yeah, honesty goes a long way. And that endears us because maybe we could have snaked an exterior, some exterior work from this guy to do on this house. You know, right now we're a little bit slow. We could have used the work, the extra work for the extra week in between projects. Yeah, but now if this guy has 10 other projects that he wants to use us on, he wouldn't if we had stolen the job. Exactly. At the end of the day, it's the contractor, it's the decorator, it's the person that's helping you get the job that's going to get you more jobs as opposed to being short-sighted and just saying, oh, here's more work for me right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I agree. And remember, people always find out people aren't stupid, and maybe you get away with it once, maybe you get away with it twice, but eventually it's going to come back to bite you in the ass, and then you get a reputation where nobody wants to bring you in as a subcontractor, nobody wants to sell work to you because you're going to steal from them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, that kind of thing can ruin a trade organization, can ruin a, a network group. Yeah, uh, and I've, it's, it's happened to us. I mean, you know, I, I've seen everything. I'm doing this is a long time, and I've seen a lot of dumb stuff. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, there are people out there who don't have any ethics. And, and that's a, a sad part of the business. So, I mean, I, you know, I can give examples, but let's not be on the negative side. Yeah. Well, let's go back a little bit to our topic as we've kind of wandered along a different path here. Um, when we do a punch list. How do you go about differentiating the final punch list from the typical along the way the customer notices something and points it out and says, hey, by the way, you missed this spot or, hey, I know you said you were done with this room, but it looks like you, you know, it looks like this still needs a little bit of work. How do you differentiate that and how do you go about explaining to the customer that this is the walkthrough where if it's not on this list, we're expecting to do what's on this list, get paid, and then we can readdress anything that may come up. Well, I, I mean, I love uh, when clients come to us all the time, you know, well, uh, what about this? Well, listen, we're not done. When I tell you a room is done, I don't care what the guys tell you. They're not, they're not in charge. I'm in charge. Um, you and I are in charge. And unless we say it's done, it's not done. So when a client comes in and says, well, what about not to worry, let us do our job and we'll take care of it. We'll tell you when the room is done, then we'll do the walkthrough and do the punch list. So if we're doing one room in the house, when it's the last day and I tell them, okay, let's do the walkthrough. And if there's anything that's left that needs to be done, we get taken care of. If it's a larger project, uh, you know, we try to close rooms off, and then at the end of the job, we do a soft walkthrough where we try to get as many things as we can. And then when we're down to the last bit, then we do a hard walkthrough and we make a list with the client. And that's whatever's on that list, that's what gets done. Anything other than that, because you can, you can spend, you know, you could be there every day. I don't care how much. You think you're done. There's always another something somewhere. And nobody is 100% perfect. And if someone is going to be, you know, hyper-vigilant on something, uh, you can spend uh, the rest of your life in a room and never get it the way they want it. Well, I always think about a story you used to tell me about your uncle and the way he would handle a punch list. Uh, my uncle, it was a great, it was great. My, my uncle would walk over to, we, we were doing a house out in Long Island, and uh, two stories on that same house. But when we were just about done with the job and he was going to do a walkthrough, he walked over to his front, by the front of the house, and it was a brick house, and he took a hammer and he broke one of the bricks right by the front door. I was like, what are you doing? It was priceless, they didn't watch. And the client came home, and they said, okay, we're ready to do the walkthrough. 
And he had the guys standing like right nearby doing some little thing. And the customer was like, well, look at this broken brick. He's like, yeah, that's terrible. One second. Guys, come on over here and please take care of this brick right now. And they literally took care of the brick almost while we were standing there. All the customer could do was walk through the house and say, let's talk about that brick on how quickly we took care of it. And they didn't notice anything else because the house was perfect anyway. There was nothing wrong. But a lot of times customers are looking to go over and to get their value out of their dollar. Yeah, that's their, their, that's their chance to get you. Right, or, or at least go over and try to get something extra for themselves. It may not be you. They're, they're looking to see how they can go over and, and, and you know, maximize their dollar. Yeah. So, uh, you know, by getting them hyper-focused on something that you're already fixing, uh, sometimes <laughs> it's, a, it's a neat little trick. The other one that uh, he used to do is when we were doing the exterior of a house, he would have me take, you know, black paint and red paint and silver paint and go over to the mailbox, paint the mailbox black, the, the flag in red and high gloss and the pole in the silver and do it fresh. And when the customer would come home, they, they're not, you know, they were very picky people, but they would come home that first day after seeing that. And all they could talk about was that mailbox and how it wasn't part of the job and how oh my god it was wonderful and it took 20 minutes you know for me to do it took you know 30 dollars worth of materials and for that we had a client for life and i think both things one one in a positive way one in a more humorous negative way but both of those things highlight that one of the things you want to do is draw their attention and show them results I like to bring a guy to the punch list walkthrough. I did that on a job we were finishing, the job we were talking about earlier with the pen. We had gone through a lot of things, we, but finally we were finished with the job and we were doing the final punch list walkthrough. And I bring one of the guys that they knew had been there, one of the guys they've seen, one of the guys they like. I bring them with me and we start walking around and he's like, oh, well, there's a little bit of a paint one on this one piece of trim. And just like you said with the brick, even though this wasn't something done artificially, this yeah. was an actual legitimate punch list item. They, there was a little bit of a run. He went and he fixed it. While we were doing the punch list, while we were doing the rest of the walkthrough, and the guy's like, oh, and this is really not going to be a problem. And so we found a couple of other tiny little things, but everything was able to be done. But he felt satisfied. It wasn't, okay, I've made you a list and now you have to come back again. It was done. By the time we were done with our walkthrough, all of the things on his punch list were finished. And then now there's no excuse. Now it's like, okay, well, we're done. You're happy. We did the punch list. We don't have to come back. There's no back and forth. There's no lag time of you give me a punch list. I come the next day or two days later, and by those two days, you found four more things that you want me to do. It, those things are done, and I'm able to say, okay, we're done. Please send the payment. And they're happy, you know. Right. I mean, yeah. they're not happy, but they're happy to send the payment. <laughs> happy to see us go. Not happy to see us go. And the other thing to do is, listen, I, I, I know there are pros and cons to everything, but let me tell you something. The easier you make it for people to pay you, the quicker you get paid. I, I, you know, I hear contractors all the time. I know small, even small painting contractors or GCs or whatever that don't take charge cards. You're out of your mind. Yes, it's a percentage. You lose a percentage. So what? Cash flow is king. If you can go, I don't, can't tell you how many times by sending a bill with a link that goes over and cl clicks to a, a charge card. They don't have to think about it. They don't have to think about it. They clicked on it. They paid it by charge card. They got the points. And we got paid within 24 hours, 48 hours later. It's in the bank. 70, 72 hours later, it's in the bank nowadays. So there's no reason not to go over and be taking more forms of payment. You want to make it easy for them. The harder you make it, then the more conditions there are, then you have to fulfill all those conditions to get paid. That's not what you're looking yeah, if for. You, if, you need to, if you have to pick up a check, you have to see the person again, which means they can tell you they're busy. They can tell you it's in the mail. They can or while you're here. Well, there was one more thing that I happened to notice. Yeah. Can't you do it now? It'll take you five minutes. So what if I have 30 other appointments and I have to go home and do estimates because people are waiting for numbers 
I have men in the car, and there's four guys in the car, and we're heading over to the next job site. Or worse, it's something that's not even really included that, once again, they're trying right. to get squeeze that little right. little bit of extra in you, and now you're going to do what? You're going to argue with them. You're going to tell them it's not part of the job. Well, for When you're there trying to collect your money, they're, they're trying to do anything possible to prolong that experience, right. and you're just trying to get your money and move on. And, and, and there's also the other side of that story. You know, contractors that make want to make it hard for the client. Uh, I, I don't get that. You know, they they, they want to have all these conditions of how they want to work. You're in someone else's home. I never understood that. Or people who are disrespectful. Um, men who don't understand how it is to work with a woman. I'm not getting that. I re- it really blows me away. I... I talk to a lot of homeowners and a lot of housewives and a lot of working women. And one of their big beefs with a lot of GCs is that they talk, they're talked down to. You know, it's like a person who doesn't know anything about cars and walks into a car mechanic and the car mechanic starts talking technical stuff. You're being talked down to. You know, no one's explaining it to you. You're being talked down to. And I don't understand that. Uh, you know, the, the, that that's what gets me sometimes is how you know contractors treat their clients as well because that is a two-way street. Well, not just that, but it's another way of a building a reputation and b generating more business. So we just did a entire salon gut renovation. We turned an insurance office into a hair salon. It's a big transition. It was an old building. There was a lot of things. There was downstairs neighbors to deal with. There was a lot of a lot of you know, a lot of electrical upgrades. A lot, upgrades. a lot of potential pitfalls. Yes. And we're doing it for a younger woman who's an entrepreneur and trying to start a business in turbulent times as it is, paying for it herself out of money that she's been saving up. And you know, uh, we met her father early in the job and where he's not paying for it and he, this is not his business. But he's, he's a business he's owner. He's a restaurateur. He's a business owner. He's somebody in protective of his daughter. And his first instinct, he's an older, traditional guy, is to say, you know, you're two men, you're contractors. I'm worried that you're going to take advantage of my daughter or that you're not going to do right by her or things like that. But then a few weeks into the job, he was able to see that, we don't treat people like that and that we were doing right by her. And then maybe two or three weeks ago, as we were getting close to finishing the job, we were all there, to, you know, taking care of things. He brought food for everybody that was on the job, um, for his daughter, for the contractors. He brought over a couple of pizzas and a sandwich, and it was excellent, by the way. Mm-hmm. But he came over to bring us all some food. The guys who were there, they got a free meal out of it, so everybody's happy. And he and I are having the conversation, and he just wants to say to you, you know, when my daughter decided to do this, she said, oh, I got a contractor, I like this person, I'm excited to work with them, and I was really worried about it, and so, of course, I'm sitting there bracing for him to either yell at me or (laughs) tell me how I'm not a good... And he's like, but you know what? She was absolutely right. You did right by her, and you didn't take advantage of her, and the place is coming out beautiful, and I'm really appreciative of that, Mm -hmm. because... You know, he's her father. He wants to get, he's protective. I get that. I'm a dad. I, and so he wants to make sure because he's been in business for long enough. He, he's been taken advantage of, I'm sure, because it happens to everybody, everybody once in a while. And so he's being protective. And by doing that, now, if somebody comes into his restaurant and says, I need some work done, we'll probably get a recommendation. And we didn't even work for him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that pretty much... I mean, we've been talking for a while now. I don't know how much we focused specifically on finishing a job as much as we did all the things that it takes to get to finishing a job. Exactly. But I think that's kind of the message that came through maybe even inadvertently during this conversation is that the best way to finish a job efficiently is to make sure you've done all the things leading up to finishing that job Exactly. Because the more you leave... For the ending of a job, whether it's the more money you leave outstanding or the more work that isn't done or the larger the punch list is, the more, the bigger those things are, the more difficult it is for everybody involved to finish. 
you want to make sure that you're collecting progress payments accordingly so that that last bit of money is your profit as opposed to the the money it costs to do the job this way you don't have you don't have to you have to worry you don't have to worry that you're out money it's it's good. it's a good exit strategy i mean you have to it's just like in any other business you have to have a good exit strategy and our exit strategy is finish the job do the job properly and finish and get out that that's you know and we have to do our exit strategy on every job and that exit strategy starts with the first day. The of minute the job. you're walking through the door. The first day of the job. Mm-hmm. That's when the exit strategy starts by having that holistic approach and by taking every single day and focusing on the details and focusing on the customer communication and focusing on the payment schedules and focusing on all of these important things. By the time we get to the end, it's lower maintenance and lower stress, and we're all in a better position. Yep, I agree. Okay, Lewis, well, thank you very much for sitting down with me again today, and have a great rest of your afternoon. Uh, you too there, Scott, and everybody out there. Uh, I hope you're all feeling well. And staying um, safe. And staying safe. Please go and vote. I don't care who you vote for, but go out and vote. It's that time of year. Um, you know, this is probably one of the most historical times in our in in life, um, and, and in the history of our country. So please go out and vote. Participate or get left behind. That's for sure. That's for sure. Thank you very much, Lewis. Have a great day, everybody. Pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for listening to a new coat of paint podcast. As always, these are your hosts, Scott and Lewis Katz. Please look us up on Twitter at new underscore coat or on Facebook at New Coat of Paint Podcast. As always, we appreciate any likes, follows, listeners, and subscribers. Have a great day and thank you.